Welcome back to American Scene, the show where we talk about movies with American in the title and what they have to say about American identity, culture, and values. My name is Ben Rosen. I'm Alan Austin. As always, if you have anything you want to say about the show, any of our previous episodes or anything we cover today, please connect with us on Twitter at American Scene underscore, on Instagram at American Scene Pod, or send us an email at American Scene Pod at gmail.com. Today, we're going from a hustle to a sprint. <laughs> See what I did there? I, I, I like it. We are talking about the 1985 film American Flyers. What did you think? We'll start with that. I love this movie. I think it is quintessential 80s popcorn, and I couldn't be more down for that. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. It's kind of the just the best case scenario when a pretty good script meets good committed acting, like genuine chemistry, confident directing, some great cinematography, an awesome soundtrack. Like when you think about like 80s soundtracks, I don't know how this one isn't in the running because it's just fantastic. And just like a lighthearted tone that just hits you in the right places and is generally just super, super fun. It hits all the right levels because there are serious elements, but at no point do you ever feel like they're trying to manipulate you. They're trying to get you to feel a certain way. It's all natural. They do it seamlessly. And you're right. The main actors, Kevin Costner and David Grant, phenomenal performances. I wrote down, this is one of my favorite Kevin Costner performances across the board. It's got heart. It's got sanity. I know there are a couple, we were were joking before we recorded about a scene that's a little out left field but it's just he hits the right note most of the time in this movie and it's really nice david grant has some of the greatest facial expressions and just he also hits all the right notes the actress who plays sarah becky mom everybody and and you know there's even a little robert townsend in there so i got excited as someone who used to watch the parenthood and the meteor man so to see a young robert townsend it's just across the board i think a really nice movie yeah and we've got some supporting characters in there you mentioned uh sarah and Becky. Um, let's let me just give a little bit more background on the movie uh, and who was involved. Directed by John Badham, who was coming off Saturday Night Fever, War Games, big big hits. Written by Stephen Tesich. He won an Oscar just a few years earlier for another biking movie called Breaking Away for writing that film. And uh, you mentioned starring David Grant, a pre-megastar Kevin Costner. Just a couple years earlier, he was cut out of the big chill. Uh, and then just a couple years later, he's got The Untouchables. So like just before he became absolute super bankable mega movie star. Ray Don Chong who's the daughter of Tommy Chong, Alexandra Paul of Baywatch, and John Amos, uh, who I kept being like, where is this guy from? And it's Mr. McDowell from Coming to America. And a young Jennifer Grey. A young Jennifer Grey. I didn't look up how soon this was before... Two years before Dirty Dancing. And she, yeah, she just has one scene, but she steals the scene. <laughs> She's adorable. Totally adorable. What a, a great, a great, great moment in that scene that is a bit out of left field, as you mentioned, but uh, but a great, great performance. Even though the scene is out of left field, it's all saved by the button of her saying, I've got to kill my mom, which long story short, they have mom issues. So, and she's at dinner with them, the two brothers. I've got to kill my mom. She says, I got to call my mom. <laughs> no, that's what I said. You sounded like you said kill. <laughs> call, kill, call, call. <laughs> I've got to kill my mom. That would be a button. (laughs) That would would take a movie in a very different direction. Sorry. 
<laughs> well, let's start with the title of the film, American Flyer, which you see in how many, let me ask you, how many different times do you think you see the image of young David and young young Marcus in the wagon on, on the bike? How many times? How many times do you remember? I don't remember any, except maybe a picture. Oh, so there was just, you only remember seeing it one time? Yeah, did I miss something? It is in so many shots. Is it a picture in the background? Yes, it's a picture in the background. Well, there's one time when he actually looks at it and right. it's, and that's in Marcus's house. But by the time you see it in Marcus's house, it's already been on screen three times. So, there, so then it had to be in the mom's house? It's in the mom's house twice and they're both in the living room. That's so odd. And this is a picture uh, that is revisited a few times in the film, most notably when David, played by David Grant, is in Marcus's house for the first time and looking around and he sees this picture along with all of these trophies that Marcus has been awarded for racing. And it's a picture of him and Marcus as young kids, young boys. Marcus is on a bike in uh, cowboy gear. They're both in cowboy gear and he's pulling David, a young David, along in a wagon. And it says American Flyer on the wagon. That's the brand of, of wagon. So that that image shows up behind the mom when she's sitting down talking to Marcus in the living room. And then it also shows up next to Marcus, also in that same scene when she, when he's talking to her. It's like a zoomed-in version on David's face, black and white. And then it's also in David's room. So that image is everywhere. And we'll talk about imagery and sort of like American iconography in terms of the cowboyness of this movie. But I thought that, that I'm surprised that you only saw it once because it stuck out like a sore thumb to me. No, I definitely only saw it once, but it's definitely evident that the old like you know two brothers hanging out playing all the time that relationship even though Marcus moved away once they revisit each other once they see each other it's like they pick up where they left off as little kids and it's a great relationship that I completely buy into yeah absolutely that as I said like the chemistry between all of the characters but especially between these two brothers played by David Grant and Kevin Costner yeah their chemistry is just phenomenal and like I'm laughing along with them as they're playing pranks on each other while they're riding their bikes it's it's so much fun. But to your point, there's nothing more American than two brothers hanging out in an American flyer in the backyard, pulling each other around, having a great day. Uh, American Flyer was a private label brand of bikes, trikes, scooters, wagons, and pedal cars and tractors and roller skates. Trademark was first used in 1931 and the bikes were sold until 1998. Um, more commonly now, I think you see these like red wagon, they say like radio flyers. Seems like that's obviously a, a new iteration of that. But that's anyway, that's the kind of wagon that you see in the picture. Let me ask you something, Alan. When did you, do, did you learn, do you know how to ride a bike? I mean, I know how to ride a bike, but I don't know how to race as a cyclist. Well, I'm just curious, I guess, like, I feel like, I mean, there are definitely other countries that where biking is much more commonplace, but I feel like in terms of coming of age, learning to ride a bike is such a huge thing. It was for me. I don't know. I don't know how it was for you. It's almost like one of those necessary life checklist moments when you're, when you're a little kid, like it's, it's one of the things you aspire to when you're really little and the moment those training wheels get knocked off it is like quite a growth that one feels in that moment and it's definitely a part of my childhood you said it's part of your childhood so for sure how did you learn to ride a bike i am assuming that my mom took me out to learn how to ride a bike i don't remember but that's got that's my best guess 
Okay. I don't know which parent it was who taught me, but I have distinct memories. I don't even know how old I was. must have been pretty young, but I have distinct memories. We had kind of a sloping driveway that went back from the house back to our garage. And then we had like a, a backyard on the left and then the driveway on the right. So I remember lining up with my bike. This was after the training wheels would have been taken off and riding down that hill, that, that slight incline, and then veering into the grass and falling a bunch of times. But like, that's how I learned. And then once I could actually get onto the grass and turn the bike around, it was like, okay, now I can manage this thing. So you mentioned training wheels and I remember falling all the time. And that is sort of kind of part of this movie is taking the training wheels off. David taking the training wheels off of his own life, getting out of his mom's house, rediscovering his own strength and commitment and stamina uh, in the face of a real challenge. I just kind of came up with that just now, but there is something kind of unique in terms of sport and cycling as having to stand on your own. I, I love that. I couldn't have said it any better myself. And this movie is pretty layered for all its, you know, cheesiness and, and smiles. And there's a lot going on. And we should start to unpack it starting from the top of the film. So why don't you take us through how the movie opens besides seeing a bunch of kids in red wagons and what the situation is. Yes. So we open on a Mississippi riverboat, a shot of a Mississippi riverboat, which I, I love. We're in St. Louis but a very like a kind of American image opening on that. And then we cut to this extended montage of David, this sort of young carefree guy in a cowboy hat, riding his racing bike all around his road bike all around town. I loved the moment in that montage when he watches the the suited up guy get splashed with water. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like he's living free and carefree and, and he's watching some guy who's kind of like sold his life away to the corporate structure, get splashed with water. And I thought that was an interesting, you know, just to position, but then David also gets splashed with water. So I, I wasn't sure what they were going for there. But this guy, biking is so much a part of his life that he's coming into his apartment complex, into the elevator and riding around his apartment on the bike, um, which I was like, okay, this guy, he's just like attached to it. It means that much to him. Um, and he's able to navigate it around that apartment very, very well. He rides it into the elevator in like one like flawless motion where people are in the elevator. So he rides it, stands it up and goes, in in one motion, not one stop to pick it up, blah, blah, blah. Very impressive. But I just want to go back over this opening credit scene. All right. We start in St. Louis, which is the gateway to the West where the movie ends. But you've got the worst garbage truck drivers in any city. I mean, St. Louis garbage truck drivers in this movie are portrayed as high school bullies, puddling anybody they come across. And there's also a riverboat with the McDonald's logo. And McDonald's is a big part of this movie. So nothing more American than some good old McDonald's sponsorship right there. Yep. American company. One of the one of the biggest American, you know, success stories. But yeah. Then David rides into his apartment. Now, after seamlessly riding around town and getting into the elevator, no problem, starts clumsying it up all over the apartment, knocking everything down. And this is going to spoil a little bit. But when you think about the end that David's not sick, those clumsy moments in the beginning where he knocks stuff down and holds his head. It's like, what are you doing? Having understood the sort of twist at the end and then rewatching it, I, that moment did confuse me as well. So let's unpack why that matters. So he's getting faint uh, in the kitchen. Marcus is coming home for dinner for the first time in a very long time. And we find out that their father recently passed away from 
an aneurysm and Marcus's concerns that uh, David may be suffering from that as well. And we learned that during their father's illness, the mom became sort of recluse, uh, wasn't able to cope with it. David stuck around to help her through this time and Marcus just split town. Uh, and now he's a doctor uh, at University of Madison, Wisconsin. And David himself dropped out of med school. Right. Yes. And now he's double majoring in Eastern philosophy and cowboy movies. One of my favorite quotes, which we'll get to as a, as a section of this episode. Um, but yeah, so those are the, those are the bones of the movie. And then sort of to break David out of his rut, Marcus says, you know, come with me to Wisconsin and join me in the last time that I'm going to race in this hell of the West in Colorado. Um, we'll be a team together just like the old days. And that's where the rest of the film takes place. I mean, an hour into the movie, we start the race and that's the rest of the movie. We kind of go on this road trip for a little bit and then and then we have the big racing montages and, and the story that builds through the rest of the movie is on that bike race. Right. So when we get back to Wisconsin, we finally meet Sarah, who is Marcus's girlfriend, who, I mean, David is shocked that his brother landed such a hottie. And with that mustache, the mustache, it, it should be credited in the movie as a character. I'm surprised it wasn't a handlebar. Yes. <laughs> Good bicycle joke. Very fitting. <laughs> anyway, there's a moment where David's kind of like still feeling his brother out. What are his intentions? Is there something beyond the race that he's trying to get across? And they have this uh, blind date kind of thing where they try setting David up with Jennifer Grey's Leslie. And that's when we first see the real tension between the brothers. And they are at each other's throats about the handling of the father's death emotionally between mom, between Marcus. Everyone's got a finger to point and everyone's holding steady with how they feel about it. There's no breakthrough at this dinner. Tensions are high. And it's kind of one of those moments between people who have conflict that needs to happen, you know? And I'm kind of glad this movie did not save that for the end. There's a whole different conflict, but a lesser movie would have held off on this particular fight towards the end for dramatic effect. I think this movie handles the tension between two people who really do love each other really early and really well. Because if you hold on to that, we're not going to buy it because these guys are brothers. They're either going to bring it up or it's not going to bother them at all. So they did a really nice job, I think. Yeah, it was kind of a moment to clear the air before we do get into all of the fun that they have along the way. And the real plot of the movie. Yeah, so really nice to set the table like that. You then go to Dr. Conrad and we, we find out that he's this athlete training guru. Him and Marcus and Sarah all work together and they're hooking David up to this torture machine. They're running brain tests. And then the movie hits his plot, which is David overhears Marcus telling Dr. Conrad after viewing the MRI or CAT scan of the brain, he doesn't want to tell him, he doesn't want to upset him. And we're led to believe that David has the same symptoms of the aneurysm that his father had. That sets the movie in motion for the rest. Yeah, that's kind of the looming threat is now David thinks that there's something wrong with him. And maybe that's what at least initially is pushing him to say, well, this may be my last ride. So, you know, kind of gives much more weight to to what he's going to do the rest of the film. I want to talk briefly. I mentioned biking, as I mentioned, definitely more prevalent in other countries there was a U.S. bike boom sort of right before these two bike movies came out, Breaking Away and now American Flyers. That was from 65 to 75. So it does make sense that Breaking Away was a much bigger 
financial success, because I imagine six years later, people weren't as interested in this. And plus you have now the sort of much more muscular sports films. I mean, Rocky Four was one of the biggest movies of this year, as well as uh, First Blood Part Two. So like now we have kind of come from a certain version of the American sports figure, American sports hero to the American action star, the sort of like jacked muscular guy. So I think, yeah, people wanted something a little bit more masculine during the mid 80s, which I think might have something to do with kind of the different tone of the 80s politically or, you know, uh, Reagan era kind of thing. But uh, American Ninja also comes out this year. So we'll have another film to talk about. Um, We are currently going through another bike boom, bike sharing in major cities over the course of the 2010s. Lots of people buying bikes during COVID as exercise and also instead of using public transit, obviously, to social distance. Obviously not in a competitive sense, but just... Right. But it is, yeah, it is becoming more more a part of American culture. Um, We're also seeing the same kind of interest in wanting to reduce one's carbon footprint as there was, as what had contributed to the original bike boom. Um, So there is something very, there are moments in American culture where biking did become so, so prevalent. And I think we kind of have to mention Lance Armstrong, despite everything that's happened with his character and and revelations about him. He's kind of one of the most famous American sports figures of all time. For sure. Especially for our generation, you know, going through high school and college, Livestrong was a movement for sure. Everyone had the, not everyone, but most people had the little yellow bracelet as synonymous with Lance Armstrong. And in the future, I think he'll be more of a history book kind of athlete as opposed to someone like Muhammad Ali who kept relevant up until his death and beyond. I think Lance Armstrong's star has certainly faded for obvious reasons. But when we were growing up, he was a figure of American glory. I mean, he went and dominated the Tour de France many times. And as kids, we we respected and admired that, even if we knew nothing about bicycling. So he definitely made his mark. And definitely an image of American superiority that he could go dominate in the Tour de France. And a great name, Lance Armstrong. Of course, Armstrong on its own carries, I mean, whether it's Louis or Neil, like phenomenal. He is the guy in that sport for our generation. No doubt about it. I I can't name four others. I can't name two others. Yeah. And then I do love, uh, you mentioned one of your favorite characters, Randolph, Dr. Conrad's. He's the comic relief. Hilarious son who shows up in a couple bits, but he says he wants to be the first black bowler because he mentions like other sports have, have already had their first. Like, why can't I? I don't see bowling having any first black bowlers. And I believe he mentions golf. I don't know if Tiger Woods was around at the time. Every sport in America has its crossover star who trans sends into pop culture. And Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods are two of them. But I just want to say, you said this movie maybe didn't fit into t- 1985, but watching it in 2020, it really fits in to, to 2020. Shockingly, it's they do a really nice job of addressing Black athletes in this movie that they did not need to. But it fits in and it's really nicely done. This movie, watching in 2020, it may be the best time to watch this movie. I agree uh, for the reasons that you mentioned, but also it shows a pretty inclusive version of America. And I think that's one of its greatest strengths because you have Sarah's part Apache. You have part of the hippie movement, kind of the, the crunchy granola kind of movement in, in Becky. You have black people in educated positions with Dr. Conrad. You have between her and uh, between Sarah and Becky and even the mom as well, strong, well-defined women who aren't just props uh, or there to push the main characters along, but actually are necessary and intelligent who have agency. The mom's got her own business going on her own that she started on her own. The Red Hot 
hot modeling scene of St. Louis. Absolutely. Um, you have Sarah. I, I read one in in reading about this movie. The moment when Sarah and Becky pull up and they got to change that tire, they competed for who could do it fastest behind the scenes. And then because Radon Chong could do it more quickly, she got to do the bit in in the movie. That's great. They actually learned how to do these things. And then I'm pretty sure the movie even passes the Bechtel test. Because you have the scene, there may be more than one scene, but I remember one scene in particular when uh, Becky and Sarah are in the car and they're talking about the certain move that they're doing, the shake and break, as David is kind of right on Marcus's tail as they're kind of uh, doing these S-turns on on the highway. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I found that so refreshing. Yes. And to your point, there's no patting on the back by the movie of, look how we're including these characters. They just do it. There's no explanation. There's There's no uh, corniness. You know, nobody is token. Everyone is a living, breathing human being with a point and a a purpose in this film. And they do mention the Apache part. David's kind of like, do you speak Apache? And she has the great comeback. Can I I ask you something? Does anybody ever say no to that question? (laughs) Go ahead. Can you speak Apache? No. Your mother's half French. Can you speak French? Uh, no. I can So they're like elevating, you know, the women in this movie. And David's not like put off by the Apache thing. He's intrigued by it. So this movie is a slam dunk when it comes to appreciating other cultures, other people. And yet the two main characters are white, but it's fine. Like everyone loves each other in this movie, except for the bad guys who are great. Uh, This comes to one of my favorite quotes, but um, uh, yeah, well, just to go off what you were saying, like everybody loves each other. Everybody is so supportive. There are no, you know, you might expect at some point in the movie that David, maybe because he's reeling from the revelation about Marcus or he's still hung up on this thing that he like blows up at Becky for some reason. And then they have to come together at the end. Like there's none of that. It's very unconditional love and support and saying like, no matter like what we're going through, we're going to get through it together. The only time there's any like sort of competitiveness is when David's hooked up to the torture test and he really wants to beat Marcus's score by one second. But even through that, Marcus is like, come on, David, you got it. There's no bitterness. It's This is a really nice movie and it's a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's talk about, I guess, this is a sports movie and I can't think of a more American film genre than the inspiration sports movie. Absolutely. And it can either be a really corny thing or it can be an earned victory at the end. I'll give this movie the earned victory because they set up plot points that pay off in the end. Marcus takes David around the course and he says, you see these flags? If you beat everyone else to the flags during a sprint, you lose time off your total. And that comes back to play in the end. So there's things that are earning him his victory other than him just muscling up and take it down. And he survives an attempted homicide by Muzzin, the bad guy, on the top of the mountain. I think, yeah, there's nothing better than a just absolute psycho bad guy in a sports movie who attempts to like cheat to win and like is just so over the top and and cruel and like vindictive when in his first scene when he shows up he's got the like sleeveless black vest so hateable showing his bare chest and he's got the fingerless black gloves i'm like this guy 
is the worst. And his name is Muzzin, like it, it, its own. And his nickname is Cannibal. It's just brilliant. The only time I really had to suspend disbelief was the fact that Marcus, who has these brain issues and they're getting worse, decides to race in the second leg of the race, which is at a higher altitude. And in the most kind of like, I'd like to say maybe the one scene that doesn't fit in with the tone of the rest of the movie is Marcus about to fall to his death on a hill in a bike race that he shouldn't have been on and that anyone who knew better wouldn't let him regardless of the fact this may be his last race. It's almost like doesn't fit in with the characters to be this reckless and kind of unprepared, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of compare it to uh, the other American sports movie that came out this year, Rocky IV, where, you know, Rocky doesn't throw in the towel uh, for... Apollo. Yeah. So I think letting emotion trump logic is part of sports movies to to some degree. Like it's it's about trust and belief and kind of and and yeah, and and like going with your heart more than your head. But but regardless, we can put this conversation aside because I wanted to ask you, what are your favorite sports movies? I'm gonna be honest, I looked at a few lists of like the best sports movies of all time, and I have not seen a lot of these. I feel like a bad American because I haven't seen so many of these like classic sports movies. I'm honestly just not that into sports. You know, I don't watch live sports, even like soccer. I've been playing since I was a kid. I don't even watch that. So, um, but yeah, what are are some of your favorite sports movies? As the resident sports expert, I guess, (laughs) I'll say uh, my favorite sports movie is Field of Dreams, which also piggybacks as my favorite movie of all time. And then, you know, I, I guess I could pick one. This will be now my favorite bicycling movie. (laughs) <laughs> not not a lot of competition. I love Remember the Titans in football. I mean, you've got so many classic sports movies to, to list them all. Rocky, of course, one best picture as a sports movie. So a lot of these, because um, I think Chariots of Fire also a sports movie, uh, also one best picture. A, a lot of sports movies have one best picture. Million Dollar Baby, uh, another one. But, you know, we call them sports movies, but there's so much more going on in them. Like even in Rocky, you know, it's and, and in Field of Dreams where you have it's so much more about the drama, which this movie obviously gets as well. Of course, no no sports movie is about the game, you know, the the score of the game. It's about what transpires on and around and what character growth comes from. And, you know, there are great sports movies that aren't considered classics. I, I enjoy Varsity Blues every time it comes on TV. You know, sports movies are, they're either hit or miss, especially if you have actors who don't look athletic playing sports. That's always a huge turnoff for me. This movie, I mean, Kevin Costner and David Grant look like professional bicyclists as far as I could tell. In fact, they're they're multitasking, they're playing pranks while speeding on these bikes. I was super impressed by just the level of athleticism that goes on in this movie. Yes, and I look forward to learning more with a special guest for this episode about what went into some of these scenes um, because I'm curious if a lot of this was practical and how much they trained for this and and I gotta say, it looks like it'd be pretty hard to fake a lot of this, but uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned a movie that uh, you mentioned Varsity Blues as like not a classic. One of my favorite sports movies of all time is Brink. Oh, yes. Which could be similar to American Flyers. Very similar, I think, also because, you know, in terms of watching it in 2020, very progressive because they have a character in that, Gabriella, who is, uh, is she's Peruvian. Um, She is not a love interest. And she's arguably the second best skater out of everybody in that group. So, like, very, very progressive to have that that kind of character in that movie. Gosh, I love that film. I mean, Eric Von Detten's always welcome. I agree. I think he shows up in another movie on our list, by the way. So uh, I can't wait. To, we can talk about him later. 
For those who don't know, he's also Sid in Toy Story. Yes. I mean, I think our listeners know who Eric Von Detten is. <laughs> My apologies for insulting your intelligence. I did. So one of the uh, lists that I looked at on Vulture of the best sports movies of all time actually puts Breaking Away at number 12 out of 50, uh, the writer's previous film uh, for which he had won an Oscar. What is number one? Hoop Dreams. I'm pretty sure. Without looking back at it again, I'm pretty sure Hoop Dreams is number one, and I'm almost positive Rocky was number two. Roger Ebert's favorite movie the year it came out, Hoop Dreams. Hmm, nice little tidbit. Um, but I think you're right. I think this this fits in the same um, sort of American sports movie mold of going the distance, creating your own identity, escaping something, proving something to yourself. They even throw in unnecessarily, but it's there, the bad Russians. Oh, an 80s movie would not be complete without some sort of Russian antagonist, although he doesn't really factor into the story at all, which I was happy about. They give them a, an American counterpoint of like, this guy's just about winning or losing. This guy, the villain which I was going to say for um, an American moment, but uh, this Muslim guy, anti-American, like vocally anti-American. He's like, I'm not racing for America because of such and such and such, uh, as, as I'll talk about later in American moments. But that was kind of an interesting, it's not the Russian who like stereotypically just by his very nature would be anti-American in the 80s. But you have this character, Muzzin, who for his stated reasons of losing the opportunity to go race in the 1980 Olympics is very anti-American. So that was another interesting kind of element of this movie. And who does he remind you of in terms of his beef? Uh, Val from Brink, I assume. No, who? <laughs> Ghost from American Assassin. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, just to put a pin on on this, the plot, so you got the big race at the end, Marcus can't race, David uses logic, as we pointed out, to win, all building to a really nice, super climactic ending where Kevin Costner is sitting there looking like an aged about-to-die cowboy in a big sweater for the last shot, and I was just like applauding it the whole time. And I think we get a freeze frame of the three of them together, right? The the two sons and the mom, which is just like, of course, they all have to come together at the end. I didn't totally love that David wins in the end because, you know, you think of Rocky as like it was just about going the distance. You know, Rocky loses in the end. Spoiler alert for Rocky. <laughs> he does not win. But, uh, you know, I think it was important that 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 he made it and that he did as well as he did and that he was able to prove this to himself and to his family and to his mom and, and kind of and break out. There was so there was so much else going on that I felt he had already won by the time he won. You know what I mean? I think, though, if he doesn't win, it cheapens Marcus's efforts a little bit. So that's why I have no problem with David winning because it's also Marcus winning. I thought it was interesting that he won by needing to win by 11 seconds. That was a cool wrinkle, and it led to the Space Jam clock of the numbers being totally out of sync with how far he is away, and I love that. It's camp that I love, and I laughed out loud, and... I, you know what? I'm going to save this for American moments. So okay, okay. proceed. I, I'll, I'll wrap up the sort of uh, the discussion of American sports movies because sports as a way of turning your life around, I think, is very American. American pro sports offer a unique opportunity to otherwise underprivileged people. And it's about discipline. It's about finding purpose and supporting your teammates and pushing yourself and doing your best. And in other pursuits, in other jobs, you can kind of find yourself coasting through life and you can't do that in sports. You know, it definitely is this, uh, the one unique pursuit where if you're not constantly pushing yourself, you're not going to be the best. You're not going to be in the spotlight. 
That's a great point. Uh, we've mentioned a lot of the cowboy imagery. Uh, there is a strong cowboy motif you mentioned, which I didn't even think of St. Louis as being the gateway to the West, which is a perfect complement to the cowboy imagery because it is very go West young man kind of manifest destiny. You know, this is where we find ourselves is in the West. David's constantly in a cowboy hat. There's an Eastwood poster in his bedroom. He says one of his majors is cowboy movies. His attire at dinner with his mom is like this checkered shirt with jeans. So he's like fully embodying this this cowboy persona. And then you have, of course, the classic moment when they're racing on the highway and they pull over the the two ranchers who on, are on horseback. And you have this great kind of parallel image of the bikes and the horses and the idea of biking and being on horseback as freedom, as independence, and kind of being able to go your own way and as fast as you can. And, and it's great. It's great. And then them pointing out that Sarah's Apache, the director knew what he was doing. He was trying to create his own version of a Western. Without a doubt. And then even on their road trip, they don't stay in hotels. They don't stay in motels. They go camping. Right. It's fantastic. And the van sort of becomes like the covered wagon, right? Of like this yep. this Western trail, this, this caravan. I think we just spoke to each other and realized this is a sports Western. Possibly the only one. <laughs> Because then, yeah, then they do run into the uh, the the bad guys, like the you know the and they foreshadow the bad guy when they get to Marcus's in the beginning because they're looking at a highlight reel and he's like, "Wasn't that your best friend?" And she goes, "Yeah, I knew him too." And she, and he's like, "How?" And she goes, "I was married to him." So they already foreshadow that this guy they do not like anymore. You know, relationship is off, and they've got a history. Yeah. Um, David even howls at the moon. He howls at the moon. He's like, I always wanted to do that. And when Sarah comes to the acceptance of Marcus's situation, that it's happening here and now, it's over a beautiful sun sunrise. Some of the great sunrise, sunset cinematography and like great aerial imagery, just really beautiful scenic shots of Colorado and the Rockies. Oh, and then outside of looking like cowboys, the attire they're dressed in for the race is all red, white, and blue. When Marcus wins that first leg of the race, he's in a red and white striped jersey. Like on the back of it, it's red and white stripes. And it's it's a lot of American coloring. Yeah. I mean, blue and white, I think, is Davy's uniform too. Yeah, there's a little there's a little like blotch of red somewhere, like a like an icon or something somewhere on there. But yeah, it's all red, white, and blue, the two of them together. Did you look at the poster for this too? It's very like artsy. I love it. I'm in love. It's so good. This this like shock of red and blue coming together with with David on the bike, and then kind of the the sort of Star Warsy kind of with them with the with the four characters up at the top. It, it looks great. It's a really really good poster. It's a poster I would hang up in my room. But yes, it's it just looks cool. Yeah, and it also reminds me of the JFK poster. Yes. Yes, it does. That's what I was trying to think of what it looked like. Yes, without a doubt. Kevin Costner has made a lot of American movies. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, this is a guy who's, you know, we we talked about this being a sports Western. This is a, a guy, Kevin Costner, an actor whose career is almost defined by sports movies and Westerns. And now his resurgence is a Western. So yeah, for sure. And there's no accident there. He is choosing what he directs and what he acts in very, very particularly. Very quintessentially American. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to, okay, so let's do our special segment of favorite quotes and then we'll get to our American moments. Um, let's just go back and forth because we, maybe we'll hit a couple of the same ones. All right. First of all, I just want to mention all the songs in this movie, you briefly mentioned them, are like very nail on the head of what the movie is. <laughs> and You mean like when they do Bad Moon Rising when the, uh, when the bad guy shows up? Yeah. American Flyers, you're racing against time. 
Like it's just very nail on the head. I, but I love it because of that. And it works, it works so well in a, in a worse movie, the nail on the head would feel like so obvious, you know, and just kind of annoying. Yeah. But it works so well with the tone of the rest of this movie. It's great. All right. My first quote comes at a time when they kind of hold on the shot for a, a second. And it's really weird, but I loved it. My first favorite quote is, I think I like Brussels sprouts now. That was my first favorite quote, too. I think I'm beginning to like Brussels sprouts. And he holds on it and like goes like this. <laughs> like he's laughing and the it's mom's so like, good. It's so good. All right. What's your quote? Well, we, I already mentioned this once, also, but uh, I, I'm a double major in Eastern philosophy and cowboy movies, yin, yang, and the bang, bang. Great line. Uh, my next one. Something, all right, I can't read my own hearing. Something about ate my shoe. Something ate my shoe. Oh, yeah, Eddie, the dog, eats his shoe. He ate my shoe. <laughs> that was a good one. He ate my shoe would be my next quote. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, once you got it up, keep it up. Which is some sexual innuendo for sure. Yeah, and it's a shirt I would buy. I think I would too. I hope I, I'm going to look and see if I can buy it. I, I hope it exists. The, they in the movie they have a shirt with that because it's like the Latin. The Latin, yeah, which like roughly tra- translates or whatever. I, there should be some vintage site which sells it. I'm sure we can find it on Etsy. I already mentioned the quote about speaking French. Well, I do, so that one was covered. Oh, there's a great line when Dr. Conrad, who there's a woman training and he says to her, cause she's not going, I guess at the speed, he goes, I told you about those donuts and I have no problem with this. I didn't read it as rude or insulting because he's paid to train people. And if someone's eating donuts, that's against the training. And he's pointing it out. I didn't read it as misogynistic or as, you know, condescending or belittling or fat shaming. He's trained people who want to be trained. And he said, I told you about them donuts. So I wanted to point out that even in this movie, which is so progressive, they even do that the right way. They even like bring training and telling someone not to eat donuts in a respectful, meaningful, in sensible way. In a place where way. it makes sense. Yeah. In a place exactly. where it makes sense, where it's not demeaning. Um, right. He does also have a line. I don't think I wrote this down. I didn't. Um, but he's also got a great line that says, uh, you're not dead yet, so do something or die. Yeah. It sounds like an early 2000s punk band song title. Do something or die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my next quote is Leslie's, which we went over. I've got to call my mother, not kill, call my mother. Uh, well, I'm going to, I didn't, it's a funny moment uh, when David says, I'm not shaving my legs. It's yeah. not one of my favorite quotes, but it is a fun moment when he agrees to the race. And he's like, I'll tell you one thing though, Marcus, I'm not shaving my legs. Uh, no, my next, my next favorite quote was the stereotypical portrayal of the hippies that Becky like breaks away from. One of the hippies says to her, you're eating fear, Becky, look into the crystal light and release meat. <laughs> And, and because Becky's a huge McDonald's fan and McDonald's is a big part of this movie, they are seen as the crazy hippies who are like lame because she ditches them. Yeah. Well, he's like, you know, here have one of these. Like, what do you what do you have against like seeds? They're like pure protein and energy or something like that. I'm like, he's right. But also, like, I don't want to just eat granola. <laughs> You know, come on. Um, I thought uh, Sarah handles Kevin Costner getting snippy with her in a really good way. She's like, don't use that tone with me. Like, really nice moment. But my next quote, which is my favorite line in the movie, don't get all defrosted. 
You're going to have to give me the, the context for that. I feel like I've heard it, but I don't know where, where, where is it from? It's Randolph and his dad. His dad's mad and he's like, don't get all defrosted. And it's just like, I've never heard that before in my life. I don't know. Maybe a Midwest saying we don't, we're not familiar with. Yeah. Um, right after uh, Becky and David meet in the McDonald's and David is walking out with her, Marcus is like, oh God, uh oh, yeah, I hope she's, hope she's a quiet one. And Sarah says she even walks loudly. Great. It's the writing is so specific. It's the little touches like that that keep characters real. This is just spot on. And the moment where she's like, I'm going to keep the rock that Sarah used to get Muzzin off her back as a souvenir. What a great touch that scene was. Like little things like that this movie excels in. Yeah, actually you mentioning that moment when um, when Sarah defends her and, and Becky from Muzzin's kind of like encroachment. She threatens him with this rock and says, Jerome, you better get this like damn cannibal away. And Jerome says, I'm Jerome, you're a damn cannibal, and that's a big rock. <laughs> It's a great line. And delivered by the meteor man. Followed immediately by, well, I'll be a Fig Newton. <laughs> That's your favorite line. I love it. Becky is, ugh, there's so much fun. The two of them together. I'd watch a whole movie about them. <laughs> yeah. One, our last thing, Becky goes to McDonald's and she goes, can I have a quarter pounder with cheese? And the lady's like, no, <laughs> that'll take too long. Do you want a Big Mac? And I'm like, what? Aren't they made from the same stuff? I don't know, but yeah. I mean, they have somewhat different ingredients, but the only thing that could have been different was cheese. So if they don't have cheese melted, then they can't get a double quarter pound or whatever. Like, it's just like, what? I haven't personally been to a McDonald's in like a decade, so I don't know, nor have I ever eaten a Big Mac. So I, I, I can't speak to the authenticity of that moment. Trust me, I'm an expert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah. All right, so let's let's get right into it. We're on our last leg of the race here, the American moments. And I will start with, and, and this is not in order, but obviously we have all the McDonald's sponsorships. But a moment that made me laugh out loud was when they announced the teams for the racing. And he's like, the Russian team. And then he's like, and the 7-Eleven team. <laughs> Who's the Americans? It's like, we're not the Americans. We're specifically sponsored by 7-Eleven. Well, that's that's Muzzin and his crew, uh, which yeah. I thought, but then it's weird because you do see 7-Eleven, but then it's also like Italian colors, which is strange. With that 7-Eleven's colors, yeah. But I want to also say that the exposition by the racing announcer in this movie is so much He's specifically like speaking to the characters we care about on a loudspeaker for the whole audience to see out here. And he's like, this is the most dangerous race at the highest altitude and the only paved road at this height in North America. And it's like, that is such an 80s thing to have like an announcer doing exposition over everything. Can't say I noticed. Really? He has more lines in the last half hour of the movie than anybody else. Uh, so the sponsorships is pretty American. The amount of McDonald's, the the whole Western theme like this, this movie earns its American title, no doubt about it, based on everything we spoke about earlier. And we've already covered most of it with the Western themes. And the whole movie is like one giant American moment. The, the Russian bad guys, pretty American moment. So what do you got? Well, we open on a Mississippi riverboat, classic American image. I mentioned that before. The St. Louis Arch, and you've got David framed right underneath it, American landmark. Um, the title card coming up with this big old American flag as David comes over the hill. Yes. It, like, you can't ask for anything better than that. Um, you've got the kid on his bike tossing newspapers and missing completely. Just very, like, I rec I've never seen that in person, and yet I recognize it, you know? It's it's like 
we're trained to see that as Americana. There's a lot of Americana in this movie, but I think we both know what the most American moment in this film is. I've got a few others. I'm going to, let's keep it up. Let's hold, let's hold on that. Let's keep it up. Yeah. Uh, Littering. So while they're riding, uh, David just decides to throw his banana peel and then yeah. Marcus stuffs his under uh, in David's George, which is great. Um, but then you also have all of the racers just finishing their water bottles and chucking them off cliffs. And these aren't like regular plastic water bottles. These are like the hard plastic, you know, the racing bottles, right? I'm just like, what are, what, <laughs> what are we doing? They're throwing it into nature. <laughs> the littering is just so over the top. Um, okay, one more thing and then we'll get to without a doubt, the most American moment, but Muzzin's rant to the press about not riding for America because politicians and the media like messed everything up for him, I think in 2020, that's very, that resonates. It's a big day for American cycling to have two Americans beat an Olympic champ. You must feel some pride. Come on, man, walk it off. No, no, I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm not riding for America, lady. I tried riding for America. I spent four years of my life working shitty jobs so I could train and make the Olympic team and ride for America. Look at me. And then some fat asses in Washington started having opinions. The Olympic Committee started having opinions. You, you bitch, I know you. You started writing your opinions. So we boycott the Olympics. I was in the best shape of my life in the summer of 1980 and I got beat by opinions. Is that why you're boycotting the Olympics? Regardless of political stripe, like, you know, a lot of people feeling left behind, a lot of people feeling, you know, on the outs from from uh, people in the media or people in, in politics. And and the ultimate irony is he's speaking against them because of freedom of speech. He's allowed to in the press, in, in the media, which is a very American thing. He does take it a little too far. Yes. He takes what? it a little too far. <laughs> yeah. Okay, have at it. Most American moment. The most American moment, without a doubt, is when Davy and Becky at the hotel are about to get it on. He happens to be watching a performance of the national anthem with fireworks exploding and rockets taking off as they're about to have sex. That is the most American moment. Without a doubt, but you forgot images of Neil Armstrong on the moon, a baseball player hitting a home run, Olympic shot put for some reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you also have Becky telling David, and this is a callback to earlier in the film when they're trading shirts and she's like, let's do it like in the Olympics, we'll trade shirts. You give me the one from the gym, I'll give you mine, right? And David turns his back so she can, you know, have a little uh, decency while she's changing. And he starts singing the national anthem. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, it's the Olympics. we got to sing the national anthem. So when the national anthem is playing before they have sex, she says to David, you're playing our song. They're playing our song, which our song, America's song, right? Right before they're about to have sex and you've got the rockets launching. It's, you can't top it. You can't top it. That is the most American moment in maybe any film we've covered so far. Certainly. And possibly, I mean, we'll have to rank them at the end of what, at some point during this, uh, during this show, what film had the most American moment? This is, this has got to be up there for sure. I think this is the leader of the pack at the moment. Nice. It's leaving all the other ones in the dust. Yep. So Ben, there you have it. That is, that is American Flyers. Oh, I recommend it to anybody to watch because it is, it is such a good movie. So well-rounded 80s to a T and I had a blast watching it. I had an absolute blast. I had an absolute blast. We have to give this a rating. I either give it four quarter double pounders with cheese or 
four fireworks while rockets blast off while the national anthem's playing, which is the symbol <laughs> of America. So four of those. Well, I had to do the math in my head, four double quarter pounders of cheese. So is that two or sorry, two whole pounds, right? Four <laughs> double quarters. A lot of meat. It's pretty American. <laughs> Or, or or red wagons, four American flyers. But four American flyers, which is how many we saw in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> because I forgot to mention, or I might have mentioned that it's on his lawn. The wagon is on his front lawn. It's on Marcus's front lawn. Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, when they come out, when they're getting ready and they say, we're going to go race with Eddie, the wagon is on his front lawn. Okay, okay. So what do you give it? Well, the first thing that came to my mind was four mustaches. Well, I was going to say one line I forgot to mention that I love is Davey saying to Marcus, you can't be sick. You've got a mustache. <laughs> I remember. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. How about, um, I'll just say four cowboy hats. Okay. Because it's everywhere in the movie and he takes it with him everywhere. And, you know, and then we have the, the great sort of reversal of David and Marcus, where Marcus ends up being the one in the cowboy hat and David's in his racing attire and he's got the trophy and you know it's it's a great switch from where they started at the beginning of the movie really beautiful bookend four cowboy hats four double quarter pounders with cheese brilliant there's no bad scene in this movie other than the dinner scene but it's not even that it's bad it's just jarring yeah and a great introduction to jennifer gray so you have to give it credit for that All right. Well, that is a wrap on American Flyers. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we're doing, again, please give us a rating, leave a positive review. You can give us your unfiltered opinion on Twitter at American Scene underscore. You can give us a follow on our Instagram at American Scene Pod. And if you'd like to follow either of your patriotic co-hosts, I'm Ben Rosen on Twitter at NotThatBenRosen. And I'm Alan Austin at Alan underscore Austin underscore. And we'll see you next time. (music) 